Excited to jump into week number two of this series called Back to Basics. I know it was a holiday weekend last week, so maybe if a few of you missed, uh, we'll just catch up a little bit. We started this series um, because, you know, Paul says in a lot of his writings, hey, I know that you already know this. But it's good that I remind you of these things. We need refreshers. We need reminders. And so that's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to go through some topics and look at these basics. And I said it this way in first service. If we don't get these things right, then we're of no threat to the enemy. If we don't get these foundations, if we don't get these pillars, if we don't get these things in place, then we're of no threat to the enemy. And so last week we actually talked about we have got to be a person, a family, individually. we got to be people And we also got to be a church that understands the importance of being multi-generational. You know, so many different church generations, they raise up and they have a great move of God and they find freedom and they see God move in their generation, but they fail to pass it down. We actually saw that with the children of Israel. One of the saddest scriptures you see in scripture is when it says that the children of Israel, they made it to the promised land. All along the way, they, got, they saw signs and wonders and God's hand upon their life. But the scripture says just one chapter later that uh, the children of Israel said that the next generation followed the Lord no more. All of God's direction and leading and guiding, all the many works that he did, all of those things, they they only didn't even get past one generation because they failed to pass it on. If we're ever going to be the people and see the harvest and see what God is going to do, we got to be a people who are generationally minded. So I encourage you to peek back at that one. And then this week, I want to talk about one of the basics we have to do and we have to operate in is we have to be a people who understand the importance of seeking and saving the lost. We got to remember what we're here and what we're about. The Great Commission is this commission that God gave to us. Uh, Many people call it the co-mission. We're co-laboring with God to go seek and save the lost. It's what we're about. It's what we do. Unfortunately, in American culture, the church has gone away from being about the mission, the Great Commission. As a matter of fact, when people church shop, they come to me and say, oh, pastor, we're, we're looking for another church. We're looking for a place that, uh, that we can go and bring our family to. And so then the questions that they begin to ask are, what do you have for my kids? And what do you have for my marriage? And how are you going to teach me to be blessed? And how am I going to make friends here and all that? Could you imagine if every American person who came into the local church came in and said, hey, pastor, I'm just wondering how I can partner with you to help seek and save the lost. What if we could live on mission and say, hey, I know God's heart is broken when he sees someone who's far from him. Are you with me today? We've got to get back to the Great Commission. We, we have all these debates about what church's emphasis should be. We've got people saying, oh, the church needs to be more about prayer. And the church needs to be no more. It needs to be more about music and, and the atmosphere and seeking after it. Oh, no, it's about doctrine. It's about doctrine. We've got to get all of our theology buttoned up. And, and that's really important. But I believe that you can be sound in doctrine and cold in spirit. I don't think the enemy is intimidated if you know the Bible front to back, but you're not going to seek and save the lost. Are you with me? And so there's got to be this this moving out that we walk in, this how do we go reach the lost? Uh, The world is craving for us to tell them the good news. As a matter of fact, the number one book, all time selling, of course, aside from the Bible, but the number one nonfiction book selling of all time is actually Pastor Rick Warren's book called The Purpose Driven Life. The sole craving of every human being is what is my purpose? What am I doing here? What's the point of all of this? What, 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 what am I meant to be doing? And so what's my purpose here? And uh, Jesus actually came and even explained it. Jesus shows up and he's walking. He says, look, I have come to bring you life and to bring it more abundantly. I've come to show you how to live is what Jesus is saying. How much more so should the church be coming to the lost and saying, look, we found the good news. God has set us free. Let me show you the way to live. Are you with me? 
And that's not a prosperity gospel. Let me show you how to get rich. Let me show you how to live the blessed life. No, let me help you find freedom and live in all that God's called you to. Can I get an amen? Here's what I believe about the condition of our world. I don't believe in America with all of the, the sickness that you essentially see all throughout culture. I don't, I don't believe that we have a drug problem. I don't believe that we have a mental illness problem. I don't believe that we have a gun control problem. I don't believe that we have a, a government structure problem. What I believe that we have is we have an evangelism problem, and we aren't letting people know that they have a purpose. Are you with me? That they were created on purpose for a purpose, and someone needs to be telling them there's more to life than what they're seeing. Can I get amen today? Come on, second service. I need your help today. Okay. We got to be a people who are about what God wants us to be about. We got to be about seeking and saving the lost. And so I believe so many of those other things, while they're real, mental illness is real. And while there's some things with gun reform and all the different things that we're seeing, uh, all of those would be solved if people understood their identity in God. Can I get amen? Yeah. We even see how important it is to Jesus in Scripture. Jesus is telling a parable. It's a made-up story, but he's given this illustration about what his heart is really about. And so one of the parables that he tells, many of us know this, we've heard of it before, but he's talking about the leaving the 99 for the one. He says, there's this shepherd. It's like this guy who has 99 things all put together. These sheep, he's got 99 of his ducks in a row. Life's good. That's a pretty good ratio. I say, hey, I did pretty good with the kids. I did pretty good with my career. We're in a pretty good neighborhood. We got some pretty good things. We got all these things together. Look at these 99. They're all pretty well kept. I could be good. But the scripture says that he's missing the one. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave all the cushion. I'm going to leave all the thing because I'm going to go about the one that's lost. How many know what I'm talking about today? My heart is for the one who's missing. The one, then he doubles down on it. He says, it's also like this. He says, it's like this woman who has 10 coins. She's got these 10 valuable coins. They're so valuable to her. And the scripture says that she loses one of them. This is heaven trying to get you to understand God's heart when it comes to the lost. There's these 10 and one is lost. And the scripture says that she doesn't go, eh, well, nine are pretty good. He goes, no, she, she goes crazy. She, she sweeps and she moves things and she tears the house upside down to find the one thing only to find out the cell phone was in her pocket the whole time. How many know what I'm talking about? But she turns everything upside down. Why? Because the one matters so much. And then the scripture says, you know what she does after she finds the one? Scripture says that she calls up her friends and says, I found, I found it. And then scripture says that he goes on even more to say, and then guess what heaven does? Scripture says that heaven rejoices. Heaven throws a party when the lost become found. How much more so should the church be so passionate about finding the one and we throw parties about it? Can I get an amen? One of our basics has got to be that we seek and save the hurting because it's, if we don't do it, we're of no threat to the enemy. If we continue to create these little self-care churches and we sing Kumbaya all the time and we make sure we all have our own tribe and our people and we do our own groups and we, are you with me? Yeah. And that's what he's trying to get the world to do is and trying to get the church to do this instead of being people who live on mission for the lost. We've gotten way too much into self-care. Well, I've got this career. I've got these kids and I really care about social status and, and you know, I've got to make sure we have leisure and we're building all of these things in our life. And then we lie. We call it, oh, well, I'm just trying to have good stewardship. I'm going to steward my kids well and I'm going to steward my career well. And all of that stuff is important. But here's a quote from a guy named Jesus about how you should self-care. This is how you self-care. This is what Jesus said. Here's how you do it. You deny yourself and take up your cross. 
It's not about self. It's not about all your things and putting all your ducks in a row and keeping all these things here. He says, hey, you want to be somebody who's fit for the kingdom and can be somebody who can follow me? Be somebody who can get up every day and deny yourself the things that you want so that you can be about the lost. So that you can be about the work of the cross, which is reaching people who are lost and making them become found. Can I get an amen? Paul talks about it. Paul says, hey, this is the mindset I need when I pray. Paul says this, when I pray, I pray that I must decrease so that he can increase. I need to be about God's work, which is about seeking and saving and redeeming the lost. I thought about this way. Every habit has a harvest. Every habit has a harvest. So what are our eyes set on? If our habits are career and my family only and my thing only, then we're going to grow a harvest over here, but we're going to neglect the ability to seek and save the lost. Uh, I thought about it like this. Everybody says, well, you know, pastor, it's the, it's the minister's job to reach people and change the world. It's the church's job to save everybody and give the altar call and see people come to church and do the thing. Can I tell you, God's design from the beginning didn't even include pastors. In the Garden of Eden, he sets Adam and Eve, but he doesn't give them a pastor. What does he give them? He gave them the presence of God. Because everything that we need is found in the presence of God. So when we say, oh, everything's for the pastor. No, everything that we need to build his kingdom actually comes from our connection and relationship with the presence of God. And so we say, oh, you know, I want to see this change, that kind of thing. We got to be a people who get in the presence of God and then take that and seek and save the lost. That's why Ephesians 5.16 says it this way. It says, we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. It didn't say the pastors are going to redeem the time. It didn't say the elders are going to redeem the time. The televangelist is going to redeem the time. It didn't even say God's going to come back and redeem the time. It didn't say he's going to send Moses or Elijah or somebody later. He said that we, the people, you sitting here in this room, 2022, God has chosen you for such a time as this to be the people who redeem the evil that we see. Aren't you excited to live in the time that we live in? We have a great opportunity to redeem some evil. Can I get an amen today? So we're called to do this. We get to be a part of this. And if we don't make this one of our basics, we're no threat to the enemy. We got to be a people who seek and save the lost. Where you put your time tips a scale. I want us to think about that when you wake up, where we're putting our time. Are we putting our time into seeking and saving the lost and being a light in our community and tipping a scale toward righteousness? Or are we being about ourselves and watching that scale tip in the unrighteous direction? People say all the time, Pastor, can you believe what we're seeing? Can you believe the times? Can you believe that this agenda is happening and they're trying to do this over here? And you can believe that there's, and I always respond back, Uh, We have no right to be upset about the condition of the world because all of those agendas just evangelized harder than the church did. They were more passionate. They were more organized. They were more committed. They were more. Are you with me? And therefore, they've won the territory. The church has got to understand that we are a people called to live on mission, not called to live on kumbaya. Come in here and sing some songs and tell everybody how good they look and go in small group. And no, no, God's called us to be a people who live on mission. The sad part about it is, is we are very under supported, very under the body of Christ itself is in a dangerous condition. The Barna Research Group goes through all the categories and I've summarized it to be this. Here's what we see with the church. The church every year begins to uh, present numbers that it's never been more unsupported and underserved than it is right now. The church is more under prayed for than it's ever been, under attended than it's ever been. It's more underfunded than it's ever been. The national average is now that the average church brings in about 3% 
on tithe, when God's design is for the tithe to be a tenth, 10%, listen to this statistic. They say that if, let me put an asterisk here, if everybody who goes to the local church actually gave 10% of their income to the church, the church itself would be able to end world hunger. Isn't that amazing that God's brilliant design was like, hey, 10% will take care of the whole world's need. Now, the asterisk here is if those churches use the funds properly. Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's why we got to be praying for it. I know we all have skepticism, but think about God's design here. As if we walked and lived and called the way that God called us to by his design, we'd be able to end world hunger. We're underfunded and we're under-encouraged. we got to spend so much more time talking about each other than we do encouraging one another. Pick up our phones and say, have you heard? Did you see what they did? Oh my gosh, we're going to do this. What if we spend as much time picking up our phone and encouraging one another? Hey, believe in you. Hey, you got great things ahead of you. What if this church actually spent, and all the churches in America, what if we spent so much time building each other up instead of tearing each other down? Then we leave the church. Then we talk about leaving the church. Then we find each other. We make these little groups and we talk about this kind of stuff. And we can't understand why the church in America is actually under attack. Underprayed for, underattended, undersupported, underencouraged, under all these things. We don't understand why the next generation is under attack. It's because we aren't living on mission the way that God has called us to. Acts chapter 1, we say, Oh, Pastor, it's hard to share. It's hard to witness. It's, it, it's hard to believe that God could ever change the world in the condition that it's in. Like, how is ever, how's God ever going to move in revival? How are we ever going to see the great harvest? Well, he gives us the answer in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what are we going to do with that power? And you will be my witnesses. You're going to use that to evangelize. The Holy Spirit's going to be a part of your life so that even if you're a timid person, even if you're a not talk in front of people, even if you're a not walk across the room and, and be bold, even if you're not that, you're going to be able to be that. Why? Because we got the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen today? Yeah. We got the Holy Spirit. And I love about this verse as he's sharing it. He's telling them, hey, where are you going to go? You're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. An example for you would be you're going to start in Zealand. You're going to make your way through Michigan. You're going to make your way through America. And then you're eventually going to change the world. And how are you going to do it? It's because the Holy Spirit's going to help you be a witness unto the gospel of God. Amen. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says this, He that winneth souls is wise. He or she that winneth souls is wise. You're walking in wisdom when you say, you know what, I'm going to be somebody who's about winning souls today. There's a lot of things that I could be a part of today. There's a lot of things that I could give my time to, but I'm going to give my attention to being somebody who's going to win a soul. I could say it to you this way. It's foolish for us to be a people who don't win souls. People say, ah, you know, I'm not somebody who can, who can share. I can't give my testimony. I need to, I'm in a season right now. I just need to focus on myself. I need to pay attention to my own thing. You could say it this way, that it's foolish for us to be a people who are not about souls. I see a lot of foolish churches out there right now that they're about cute little groups and they're about cute little programs and they're about cute little potlucks and they're doing all these cute little things and they're no threat to the enemy. Why? Because they're foolishly not going after souls. They're not going after the hearts of the issue. It drives me crazy. I have so many people come up to me. Do you see what that group's doing? Do you see that agenda? Do you see that they're doing? I wish we could just send them all off into an island. Send them all off into an island. They're who you're called to. You ought to be positioning yourself to get into their life. Are you with me today? We're in a position where we got a lot of work to do. Uh, according to statisticians, again, the Barner Research Group says this, if we asked all non-believers to join their hands together, this is a fact. If, you, if we asked all non-believers to join and link their hands together, they could literally span the, the globe. All linked together, they could literally cover the earth if they linked their hands together. Listen to this. 
the line grows at our current evangelism rate. The line grows 20 miles a day at our current evangelism rate. Between the unchurched and the de-churched growth that you see among generations below us, uh, we see that that line continues to grow. This is staggering. America, despite what you've heard, America used to be the largest Christian nation by far. If you looked at church and ministries and Christian schools and Christian colleges uh, that we had in America, uh, we by far were the largest Christian nation. And now we've fallen to the third largest mission field in the world. We used to have so many missionaries that we would send them from America to the rest of the world. Now we need to like go repo them. We need them back. We need help. We need to go get them because uh, America has fallen away. Uh, the current evangelism rate, listen to this statistic. If all births and deaths stopped, just no more births, no more deaths, it would take us almost 100 years at this pace to evangelize all those who are lost. That's how slow we are at a pace of reaching people and witnessing and evangelizing to the lost. But God's desire in this entire book is all about, hey, come and seek and save the lost. And he sent his best so that we might save souls. Are you with me? I thought about it like this. One of the things that drives me crazy as a parent is like when my kids don't help each other. Uh, we have a four-year-old, and so she still, you know, sits in one of those car seats that has like 72 buckles and 58 airbags and all the things that you got to do. And, um, <laughs> and so uh, when it's time to get out of the car, my two older kids, um, they won't help her unbuckle that last one. Or whatever. So sometimes we're like, help your sister. And like, no. And then they get out and they leave her there. And it drives me crazy that one of my kids won't help the other kid. And I just wonder if God, the heavenly father, is looking down at his creation, his children, and he sees that there's so many lost ones that they could join hands and spin the globe. And he looks down and he sees all his other children not helping. He sees his body of Christ, the believers who've been set free, who found him, who found freedom in him. And they're like, nah, I got other stuff to do. Just like my bratty little kids. The only reason I want them to help is because I don't want to go and buckle it either. Let's be honest. I don't want to deal with that. But God looks down. And he's like, why won't my other kids help the other kids? He cares about the one. His heart is for the one. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come to create Bible studies and empires. I came to seek and save. I just wish my other kids would be and live on mission. Paul gives us what we know about salvation, but we very rarely read the second part of this. Paul is telling us about salvation in Romans 10 verse 9. It's where we get the salvation prayer, the sinner's prayer. In verse 9, he says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're like, yes, the sinner's prayer and the prayer of salvation. This is amazing. But there's a huge component that goes with this. Verse 14, he goes on to say, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. We love to think, oh, so many are going to be saved. And we want to see a great end time revival. And we want to see them pray this prayer and be set free. And I understand all this kind of stuff. But if there's nobody there to tell them, how can they ever pray that prayer? If we're not living on mission, if we're not sharing our testimony, if we're not talking to the goodness of God, how will they ever get to this place of confession and repentance? 
We got to be a people who live on mission. That's why, again, Luke 19, 10 said that Jesus' mission was for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If we're called to be Christ-like, then our mission and our mandate and our mindset every day should be, I live to do what? Seek and save the lost. I'm not called to talk about them, judge them, accuse them, try to put them over there and keep them at bay. No, I'm called to seek and save them. The word evangelism means the spreading of Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. It's zealous advocacy for a cause. Being zealous about it, being passionate about it. It's funny how many silly things we get passionate about, these causes we get passionate about. You know, when we first had our baby, uh, you know, you're, you got all these new moms and say, oh, you guys just had a baby. You've got to go down to the store and get one of these things. And so they're zealously advocating for all these little things. It's amazing. It's this, you swaddle it, you hang it upside, you put it in the sun for three hours. I'm like, the baby? Yeah, you do it. It's amazing. Then you bury it in the ground for a little bit. I'm like, oh, my God. And they're passionate about all the things that you do. They're so passionate. Uh, I've been back into golf again. So you get around golfers and like, oh, have you done this? Have you played there? You should go here and do this. They're zealously like campaigning because it's something that they're passionate about. How much more so do we need to be zealous about the freedom that we found because of the work of the cross? Can I get an amen? Yeah. The scripture says that it's important because life is a vapor. It's here a minute and gone. And, uh, one one uh, example of it is like if you've ever taken the pot off the top off a pot, boiling water, and it just goes, and then gone. That's, that's our life. We work on houses and getting cars and friends and all these kind of things we put in, but it's just a vapor. But eternity is for eternity. And many times we start to care about eternity before it's too late. We get on our deathbed and we go, why did I waste so much time caring about all those other things? All I really want people to know about is God and his goodness. And yet we're at the end of our life or it's too late. Someone's on their deathbed and, and we're just saying, oh, we need to tell them about Jesus before it's too late. Yet we've had all this time with them. Life is a vapor. Uh, the reality is God wired into you this rescue mission personality. God wants you to be a part of his hero story, his redeeming mankind. The reason I know it's wired into you is because if you take a look at the top 12, whatever it is, top 15, maybe all time highest grossing movies, about 70% of them are all hero movies. Why do we sell out box offices? Why are we so captivated with the went from broken to being restored? It looked like it wasn't going to work. And then the hero shows up. Why are you so wired for that? Because God created you to be a part of those kind of stories. Yeah. When it looked like all was lost, you get to step in and be the light and be the hope and speak of the goodness of God and see restoration. God wired you for it. Proverbs 24, 11 says it this way. It says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. That's why we don't say, oh, I wish they would just go get their own island and stay out of our business and go live their sinful lifestyles and just don't do it around here. No, we hold them back from staggering toward the slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does he not who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay anyone according to what they've done? Meaning this, if we say, I didn't even know that the world needed so much help. I didn't even know that things were so bad. He's like, no, he knows your heart. He knows the opportunities that you had to seek and save the lost. And so we've got to get it right. I wrote it down like this. Rescue missions, the scripture said it this, you, this way, rescue those being led away to death. Rescue missions are dangerous. They're dangerous. They're messy. They're hard. Are you with me? We've done such a horrible job in Christian culture, and I know I'm being redundant. Scripture says rescue those. Rest, swoop in and rescue those. They're in dangerous situations. Rescue those. 
And the American church has said, how about classes? How about kumbaya? How about we just do potlucks? And how about we do, are you understand what I'm saying? And we're on rescue mission to seek and save the lost. Jesus' plan to save the world is to use us as his witness. The great commission, the co-mission, co-laboring with God. He said, here's my plan. I'm ascending to heaven. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who's your helper. And now go seek and save the lost. He's saying, together we got this. I'll close with this if someone can come. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 gives us an amazing concept that I want us to hold forever. Matthew 9, 35 says this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, many, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered. How many know the hour that we live in has many weary and scattered people? It says, they were like sheep having no shepherd, then he said to his disciples, by the way, you're his disciples. You're his followers. He would turn to you and say the same thing. He would say, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then he says this, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Think about it this way. If somehow you were able to go to heaven or go to God and say, hey, do you have a prayer request? He would actually answer it this way. Yes, I have a prayer request. It's that the laborers go into the harvest field. Hey, is there anything we can be praying about God? Yes, there actually is. There's a lot of weary and scattered people in 2022. And there's too many selfish Christians paying attention to their own selfish life. And I just wish that those laborers would move out into the harvest field and reach some people. Are you with me? Heaven, what, what do you want us to do? I want you to move out into the harvest field. Hey, heaven, is there anything we could do for you, God? Yes, there's one thing. Um, my children span the globe right now, hand to hand, and they're all lost. And if somebody doesn't go to them and harvest them, they're going to spend eternity in a place that I only created for Satan. It's called hell because hell's real. And if this generation of church doesn't get it figured out, we're going to lose many to a place called hell because we're so busy with our own lives and our own entertainment. I'm coaching second grade football this year, and I cannot believe how many of the parents come to me. They're like, all right, he's going to be here for 20 minutes. Then my next kid's coming here for 15 minutes. And they're like going 77 places in one night. And I'm all about supporting activity and kids being involved in things. But if the enemy can't destroy you, he'll distract you and make you so busy and so scattered that you miss your assignment. Are you with me today? Yeah. Hey, so heaven, do you have a prayer request? Yeah, here's what I want us to pray. I want us to pray that the laborers get out into the harvest field because the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. It's impossible to read scripture and not realize that Jesus is all about the lost soul. We need to wake up and let our feet hit the ground and say, God, where's the lost one? Where's the lost one that I can seek and save? What's the conversation I can have in the lunchroom? What's the conversation I can have in the parking lot? What's the conversation I can have at the gym or wherever you're going? God, how can I go out into the labor field? Because it matters. One of the really messy labor uh, harvest fields right now is 
this sexually perverse culture that we live in. Uh, we've had so many young people that are now older people, upper 30s into their 40s. The last 20 years, there's been the sexual revolution of do whatever you want, discover yourself, uh, just go live, do you, do your own kind of thing. And so we've created this culture of insanely unhealthy, not by the design of, it's not by the design of God. We're not living the way God's called us to. And so there's all of these unbelievable consequences. So we have a culture of weary and scattered young girls, but also men who've been destroyed through this sexually perverse generation. And the church needs to step in right now in one very specific area. And it's in this area of the unplanned pregnancy and the abortion. I'm sure you're seeing the ads that are trying to make people who believe uh, that, hey, we're, we're for life. We're going to protect the unborn. They make you sound in these ads like you hate women. Any ad, you're going to hear it on the radio right now. It's going to be, I can't believe you're trying to control women's bodies and all this kind of thing. Uh, we're trying to protect the unborn because they're God's creation. Can I get an amen? He's got a plan and a purpose for them. And so we're stepping into this field of weary and scatteredness. And go ahead and put the slide up for making life disciples if you can. We are living, if, if, if heaven had a prayer request, it would be this. I've heard all of your prayers of Roe v. Wade. And heaven has responded. Heaven has responded. Heaven has said, okay, hey, there's an overturning that's happening. But here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy about the overturning. I met with Positive Options. And they said, Josh, we're so grateful for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We're so grateful for this. However, this is what's going to happen. It's going to force a lot of dads to become dads that weren't planning on ever being dads. They thought, hey, well, if anything ever happens, we can just have an abortion. And, and now, now we're forcing dads who aren't ready. We're, we're also, by law, forcing moms who aren't ready to be moms suddenly. Oh, my gosh. I've bought the lie of all of this do you, sexual immorality. It's no problem. Go do your own thing. Just kind of do your own thing. And now all of a sudden you're faced with life change. And so God's heard the prayers and he's moved on our behalf. And there's this overturning of Roe v. Wade. However, if there's no laborers in that harvest field... Guess who's going to win? The enemy. We are standing at a crossroad right now where the church can step in and harvest for the kingdom or we can forfeit another answered prayer. God moved and we could do nothing with it. So I'm just trying to say this life disciples class, I know it's messy, but here's what I'm trying to say. There are many weary and scattered people, both men and women, who need the church to come in and say, hey, I know this was unplanned, but we don't shame you. We don't judge you. We're actually here to support you. Hey, I know you weren't planning to be a dad. But I'm going to come alongside you. And I'm going to believe in you. And I know you didn't have a dad. And I know you had a crummy upbringing. And all of them say, I'm not going to have a kid. I'm not going to raise a kid because I don't want to do to that kid what happened to me. And we're going to come alongside and we're going to say, no, we're going to break that generational cycle. And we're going to stand in the gap. And I know you're weary. I know you're scattered. And I know you're scared. But we're going to come alongside and we're going to grow through life to side. And we're going to say, we got you, bro. You're actually going to be a great dad. You're going to be a great mom. And then we got, we got a whole bunch of women that have, have, have walked through, through abortions. And, and there's this great post-abortion care that this ministry has. And so we got to step into the, to the weary and the scattered. And we got to be the light. And we got to seek and save the lost and the hurting. And we got to say, hey, God, God's got a purpose and a plan for you. Can I get an amen today? And so I'm so proud. We have many of you signed up. 
for this group. I'm so proud of you. It's a seven-week course, and it helps train people of the church to be ready to handle and stand with people who are walking through this. And so we need men in this group. We need women in this group. We need people who can encourage the dads, the boyfriends, whatever the scenario. Uh, we need people that can encourage the women, whether they're plan- walking through an unplanned pregnancy or they've, they're post-abortive. We need people who can come in and be that light, be that encouragement. I'm so proud of you because we have a really good number already. I'm so proud of you, church. But I'm asking you, if, if, if a little bit in your heart, you're like, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling like I should be a part of this. Would you please, please come? It starts uh, tomorrow night. Uh, It starts this week. It's seven weeks. And if you miss a couple, we can get it all worked out with you. But we got a great team who's getting ready to step in. I don't want to see us fumble the ball on the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Can I get an amen? Please, Lord, let the church be the church that it's called to be in this crazy vital hour. Let us finally be to the world. The world say, oh, thank God there was a church. Let it be vertical, but let it be the church of America. Oh, thank God for the church. They helped me when this, 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 and this, and this. Amen? Amen. Thank you for letting me get on a little rant there. But if you're interested in doing that and attending that class, you can sign up in the app and you can sign up on the website. But I'm telling you, if you have that poll, Please, 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 please be a part of it. God will use you more than, than you could even imagine. Amen. And then lastly, this, uh, you might be saying, oh, I, I don't know, taking the step to witness or to reach somebody or pray for somebody or listen to somebody that feels so intimidating to me. That feels so risky. And I've tried to do it before and I've been persecuted over it. Uh, scripture actually shows us this same conversation that Peter was having with Jesus. Mark 10, 28, it says, Then Peter spoke up, saying to Jesus, We've left everything to follow you. We've risked it all. We've risked it all. And then Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no one has ever left home, brother, sister, mother, father, children, or fields, for me and the gospel's sake, and says, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brother, sister, mother, children, and fields. And he says, along with persecution, and then in the age to come, eternal life. This is what he's saying. If you ever risk it for the gospel, you're not going to fail. Whatever you lost, whatever you feel like you missed, whatever you feel like you chanced, in this age, God's got your back. I'm going to try. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to do this thing. Oh, I felt some persecution. He's Yeah, persecution is going to be a part of it. But in this age, God's got your back. Oh, I feel like I missed out on this. Yeah, but he's going to get you. You don't got to worry about it. He's got your back on this. So what I'm trying to say to you is, is risk it. God's given you a promise that in this day, you actually don't lose. Persecution, yes, you don't lose, but then also eternal life. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us uh, as we close. But here's what I, I want us to do. I don't want us to leave here and go, oh, I never thought about that. Or, oh boy, those stats were kind of crazy about how many. I don't want us to be like, oh, how about that? What I want us to leave here with is a burden. So when we pray, I want us to ask God, God, give us a burden for the lost. God, I want a burden for souls. God, I want to pray for a burden. You know, we get out our prayer list. We say, oh, I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. I hopefully pray for my church. Please pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. You pray for a couple of things. But I wonder how much of us are like, God, hey, I pray for the lost. The, 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 field, the harvest field that's so ripe out there. God, give us souls today. Put me in the path. You know what's kind of crazy? Every time you do pray for the lost and to be put in somebody's path, you're not going to believe this. 
you actually get put in somebody's path that week. You actually bump into somebody who you can listen to them, you can pray for them, you could encourage them, you could give them some money. You know what I'm talking about. So let's pray for a burden of it before we take off. Let's all pray. God, we love you so much. Lord, that is our desire, is that we have a burden for the lost. God, we understand that this has to be a basic of ours, a fundamental, a pillar of ours, or we're no threat to the enemy. If we don't care for the lost, the one, uh, Lord, then, then we aren't living the Great Commission. So God, I pray that our heart is for souls as we move out in our every single day. Lord, I thank you that you give us the ability to steward all of the aspects of our life. But God, I pray that our desire and our focus and our direction is for those who are hurting. God, we want to be your children who take care of your other children. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.